Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. It's good to see you all. My name is Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at RPC. It's great to see you. I just have, um, before we begin, a warning, maybe like in a warning, kind of an announcement. Um, so somebody is out there uh, masquerading as if they're me, and they're, email, they're emailing congregation members asking for them to send me a $500 Amazon gift certificate for my niece, which is fine if you do, but it's not me asking. I want you to know that. And, they, and just this past weekend, I got um, some uh, messages from some that now they've started texting congregation members saying, this is Rev. Jeff Myers, um, $7,500 gift certificate for my niece. I would never ask you for that. Um, it was funny, though. One of the, the women who received it, she said, um, I knew it wasn't you because of the bad grammar. <laughs> I was like, not because I asked for $500 gift certificate? <laughs> All right, okay. So um, it's great to be here and worship with you. Uh, we continue in our New Year's uh, sermon series, Counterfeit Gods. These gods that present themselves to us ask us to worship them, but they're not true gods. They're counterfeit. Last week, week we looked at the counterfeit god of busyness. That there are these gods out there that cause us to get busy, that distract us from what's most important. They divert our attention from what we should really care about, to busyness. I'm making the argument that while church attendance and official religious affiliation may be in decline, people are not any less religious. People are as religious as ever, but now they're worshiping other things. Rather than Worshipping a transcendent and uh, eternal God, they're worshipping finite things, objects and activities of this world. This is what David Zoll calls seculosity, treating secular things with religious devotion, things that don't deserve it. This phenomenon springs from the human need to feel like we are enough. We want to feel righteous. We want to feel justified. We want to feel enough, and we want other people to think we are enough. If you check out the book by Jonathan Haidt, who's a moral um, psychologist, he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. And in it, he analyzes the reality of the human experience from the beginning. And in the introduction to his argument, he says this, all human beings... All human beings have an obsession with righteousness. It is the normal human condition. That's foundational to his argument. That all human beings have a desire to feel like we are enough. This is across time and across cultures. All human beings have this desire, this need to feel like we're enough. So today we're going to see how this desire, this need to feel like we're enough is lived out in our leisure activities. I've selected a passage, kind of a, more of a random passage from 2 Thessalonica. It's a pastoral letter where Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica and he's making an argument and he's giving them some advice about uh, the role of work 
and leisure, or what he calls idleness in their lives and how they should relate. So let us look now at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. Paul writes, Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. Now listen to this. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Take note of those who do not obey what we say in this letter. Have nothing to do with them so that they may be ashamed. Do not regard them as enemies, though, but warn them as believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you, by your spirit, might speak a word that only you can speak. Lord, that we might recognize and notice the counterfeit God of leisure that pops up in our lives that distracts us from becoming the people you've created and called us to be, to flourish as you desire for us to flourish. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you worship? One of the most famous commencement speeches that has ever been delivered was given by the writer David Foster Wallace at Kenyon College. It was published under the title, This is Water. In the speech, Wallace is concerned with speaking to these recent college graduates and pointing out the fact that they are worshiping creatures. As you read the speech, he almost sounds like a postmodern John Calvin or Saint Augustine. As he begins talking about worship, you can almost imagine and see these 22-year-old graduates just rolling their eyes, saying, the last thing we thought we were going to come to when we to hear at commencement was somebody talk about worship. But he says, we all, every human being, is a worshiping being. To begin the commencement speech, he begins with a parable. He says that oftentimes we worship, but we don't know it. We don't even notice it. So he begins with this parable. He says, there was um, two fish swimming along, and an older fish comes by going the other way. And he nods at them and says, hey boys, how's the water? And the two young fish continue to swim on. They go on for a while, and eventually one turns to the other and says, What the heck is water? Wallace tells this little parable because he says, oftentimes we don't even notice the things that we worship. The objects, the activities that we worship, we don't even recognize them as that we're worshiping them. It's like a fish trying to notice the water that he's always been in. 
The objects that we worship are so close to us, so a part of our everyday experience that we don't even notice them. We're not even aware of them. They've always been around us. So Wallace says that could be a problem. So Wallace goes on to tell the graduates, you get to decide what to worship. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. This is one of the coolest, hippest, influential writers of my generation saying that we are worshiping creatures bringing a very unhip, uncool message. We are worshiping creatures and we often don't even know it. And today I'm concerned with this broad category of objects and activities under the label leisure. Leisure is how we spend our free time. It's the time that's given to us that's not taken up with work and family and other responsibilities. What do we do with the time available to us that's not already taken up? For many of us, what we do in our free time is we exercise. A lot of us work out. I recently came across an article on the uh, website by CNBC. Talked about the workout phenomenon, CrossFit. Now, how many people know what CrossFit is? Okay, that's great. Um, The last people I want to make angry are CrossFitters. So I uh, take this all with a grain of salt. But I think it's great if people participate in CrossFit. I think it's just phenomenal. It's great. But oftentimes, you don't notice the water you're swimming in. I came across this article titled, How Turning CrossFit into a Religion Made Its Atheist Founder Greg Glassman Rich. Now, see, CrossFit is a gym, it's a box where people gather, and they do workout routines that are a little esoteric in nature. So they'll, like, flip a giant tire from one end of the building to the other. They'll see how many pull-ups they can do. They'll swing like a a kettlebell from all over, try not to hurt the person next to them. There are close to 14,000 CrossFit affiliates around the world in over 140 countries with 4 million participants. This is big business. The article is about the founder, Glassman, who's invited to Harvard Business School. Now, Glassman was a college dropout, and so he finds himself at Harvard Business School, and they want him to give a talk about his, his business, how he grew it. It's interesting there that as he's before these MBA students, he looks out the window across the square and he sees the Divinity School. And he says to the students, he says, you know what? I have a lot more in common with the people at the Divinity School than I do with you all. Why does he say that? He says, because CrossFit is a religion run by a biker gang, he says. CrossFit functions as religion. It offers participants a purpose to be a part of. It gives a reason to gather together in community. As you sacrifice physically, you receive praise. Notice the religious language. The community offers very strict dietary restrictions. That is a low-carb, high-protein diet. 
One participant in the article says, CrossFit is family, laughter, love, and community. I can't imagine my life without the people I've met through it. Listen to the the founder, Gray Glassman, when the interviewer is interviewing, begins to challenge him about this religious devotion. And he says this, I don't really give a flying, and then it's F with three dashes, which is flip. And he says, what anyone thinks of me or what we are doing. People's opinions of my efforts don't matter. What matters to me is the considered rational opinions of intelligent people about our take on metabolism. (laughs) That's what matters. Glassman presents himself almost as a savior of sorts. He says CrossFit is a cure for ailments ranging from obesity to anxiety and is a weapon against the national epidemic of chronic disease. And according to the gospel of CrossFit, other exercise regimens and diets are fraudulent. CrossFit isn't alone. You know, I... I should spread the well, so let's take shots at somebody else. Um, take Soul Cycle, for instance. If the name itself doesn't point to its religious identity. Soul Cycle, if you've ever done it, is a room full of bikes where people pay money to come and they turn on the heat and it's really hard and they sweat on each other. <laughs> and where do you go to spin? You go to a soul sanctuary. Their marketing campaign entices you to find your soul. Classes are described as journeys and are led by charismatic leaders in dark rooms full of lit candles. The routine is set up by an emotional DJ that seems to lead those spinners through kind of a liturgy, if you will, of high and low going down to the depths and then sending you out. And if you've ever met somebody committed to soul cycle, you know you're like, Are you, have you joined a cult? In fact, I got caught up with some of the soul cycle cult back in, when I was in Houston. And they took me to it. And I was like, I almost threw up and I was like, I'm never doing this again. Now what's wrong with CrossFit or soul cycle? Inherently nothing as long as you recognize the water you're swimming in. In principle, nothing's wrong with it at all, as long as you recognize the water you're swimming in. The problem is, if we don't recognize the water we're swimming in, we think that it can make us feel like we are enough, that we're justified, that we think that it can make us feel like we're righteous. But the problem is, how many pull-ups do we need to do to feel like we're enough? What place do we have to get into the bicycle race so we feel like we're enough? Friends, leisure activities aren't just confined to fitness routines. If you're living in a retirement center and you play cribbage, and I would love for somebody in this congregation to teach me cribbage, how often do you have to win to feel like you're enough? If you're a gardener, how beautiful do your flowers have to be to make you feel like you're enough? If you bowl, how many strikes do you have to to hit? If you play golf, when has golf ever made you feel like you're enough? (laughs) We have this desire to feel like we're enough, but do we notice 
the water we're swimming in. In today's passage, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And he's exhorting them not to be idle. And the line in the passage I really want to focus in on is verse 11. He writes, For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. The irony here is usually when I think of idleness, I don't think of that person also being a busybody. But it seems to be that in Paul's mind, idleness and being a busybody are two sides of the same coin. The same problem of being distracted and diverted from what is most important, from not acknowledging, not noticing the water we're swimming in. When we're at leisure, it can be easy to forget the water we're swimming in. So I want to offer three quick questions to help us notice the water around us. Number one, are you playing to play or playing for payoff? Are you playing to play or playing for payoff? Oftentimes, we only participate in leisure activities because of what it's going to get us what it's going to give us. We think of the utility of our leisure. One of the places you can see this most starkly is in uh, parental literature. It's given direction to how to parent kids. Oftentimes, they want to focus in on the utility of play. In other words, what does playing get for your kid? So in the book, of, and I could have selected a lot. I, ch- I chose two examples. In the, in the book, The Art of Roughhousing, the writer claims... The quality of roughhousing a child engages in predicts their first grade achievement better than their kindergarten test scores. What happened to just like roughhousing? Like, we got to predict my first grade test scores? Leisure time should be a time for leisure, to play, not for what it's going to pay off. Child expert Peter Gray in the American Journal of Play, you didn't even know we had one of those, argues for the benefits of play. Listen to this. Play helps children learn how to make decisions, solve problems, exert self-control and follow rules, learn to regulate their emotions, make friends, and learn to get along with others as equals. Does that sound like play to you? What happened to playing for playing's sake for the inherent good of play? That it's not for what I can get, but it's to enjoy, to rest, to relax, to become rejuvenated. That's true leisure. It is what it is to rest. There's a retired church member here at RPC who taught me a little bit about this. He invited me over to his house because he wanted to show me his model train uh, set. Now, a train set (laughs) is not doing it justice. Okay, this thing... Is in the bottom of his basement, there's four rooms, and it's spread throughout, okay? He's got the, um, like the Rocky Mountain room where there's just like these intricately painted um, vistas, you know, that look like the mountains, and he's got these just um, trains that they're just meticulously, every detail, you know, is just a replica of the real thing. And it's incredible. I'm looking at it. It's amazing. But then I notice in one room, there's a corner that totally has not been finished. It's not done. And then in another part of the basement, I notice that there's a part he's renovating. So I said, hey, Jim, when are you going to finish this thing? 
Because you got to know, I'm a goal-oriented person. We start something because we're going to finish it. That's why we do things. And so I say this to Jim, Jim, when are you going to finish this thing? And he turns to me, and with a little twinkle in his eye, he says, Jeff, you know what they say? If you finish building your model train before you die, you've done it wrong. And it was a way he said, I'm not doing it for the completed project. I'm doing it because I enjoy doing it. Because it's leisure. It offers me rest, relaxation. I feel rejuvenated. I'm doing it because I enjoy it. I'm not worshiping it. Doing it for its own inherent goodness. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Playing for playing's sake and not for the payoff. Question two, what kind of value do you seek in your leisure activities? Whether it's fly fishing or scrabble, working out, taking photography, cooking, gardening. Are you looking for it to fulfill your purpose? Are you looking for it to make you feel like you're enough? Are you noticing the water you're swimming in? Our culture often presents leisure activities as if they can make us feel like we're enough. And if we look to them for that, they will never satisfy us. I read to you that great commencement speech by David Foster Wallace. Later in the speech, he gets and points out why it can be so threatening, it can be so dangerous to not notice the water you're swimming in. To worship things that are not worth our worship. He says this, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we know all this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. We need to be careful what we worship, because if we worship objects and activities as if they could make us feel enough, they will only destroy us. They will bring danger into our lives. They'll never let us feel like we're enough. Question three, where can you turn to feel like you're enough? Leisure should be a time of rest, relaxation, rejuvenation, to recover. Don't turn to these activities and and objects to feel like you're enough. Where can we feel like we're enough? This question came most poignantly in human history in the 16th century. Where can we find that we're enough? It was addressed by Martin Luther. Luther saw to the heart and the root of the problem. He looked out at his fellow countrymen and his fellow citizens, and he saw them working, trying to feel like they were enough, often religiously, to feel like they're enough, to earn their enoughness to justify themselves. And he writes this, It is impossible to gain peace of conscience by the methods and means of the world. Experience proves this. Various holy orders, which he means here like nuns and monks and priests, have been launched for the purpose of securing peace of conscience through religious exercises. Notice the word, religious exercises. But they proved failures because such devices only increase doubt and despair. We find no rest for our weary bones unless we cling to the word of grace. 
we find no rest for our weary bones unless we cling to the word of grace. And that word of grace has come in Jesus Christ. God has brought us a word of grace in Jesus Christ. So whether it's CrossFit or Soul Cycle, playing board games or doing model trains, however you spend your leisure time, don't try to find your enoughness in them. You'll never find rest for your weary bones unless you cling to the word of grace. And then when we cling to that word of grace, it frees us to experience the true pleasure of play, to experience the rest of leisure, to experience the happiness in our hobbies, to experience the joy and the rest and the recovery that is offered in our leisure. But then we turn in worship, having noticed the water we live in. We worship the God of grace. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you do offer us a word of grace to give rest to our weary bones. Lord, we pray that we might not worship things that will never satisfy, that will never make us feel like we're enough. But we might turn to your word of grace offered in Jesus Christ. And let our leisure be leisure, our times of play be play, time of enjoyment, rest, and relaxation. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.